Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I want to share a message with you today called Miraculous Love. We're kicking off a new series called Wanna Be Loved because everybody wants to be loved. Am I right? I mean, it's the deepest desire of the human heart. Every man, every woman, we found from studies that babies that are born into the world, if they're not loved, if they're not held and cared for in the first six months of their life, it actually, it it creates a psychological damage to their lives. Like we are hardwired for love. And yet it can be one of the most difficult, one of the most painful parts of our lives as we seek to learn how to give and receive love. And I've been praying for you that God would just immerse us. And I I think of baptism when we're like immersed, like we go fully under in the waters of God's love, that you would be so immersed in God's love. One of the scariest passages of the Bible to me is Matthew 24. This is Jesus talking about the, the last days. And he says that because lawlessness, he says, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And in the midst of these crazy days and days where it feels like lawlessness is multiplying, I think it's important for us as the body of Christ, the church, to be reinvigorated, to find new life in the love of God. So today we're talking about miraculous love. Now, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. It's this crazy moment. It's like this God thing that happens and it's like nothing else can explain it where, where he steps in and, and, and intervenes in a miraculous way in human affairs, this miraculous or this miracle of God's love. Today, we're gonna be looking at Romans chapter five, verses six through 11, if you wanna start turning there. And this was a, a letter written by the apostle Paul. And I just wanna remind you as we open up God's word that um, as the prophet Isaiah says, that as he compares human life to grass, that we're, that we're, that we're but a breath, he says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So as we read God's word, I just wanna remind you that this is the enduring, never-ending word of God, and it stands forever. We would be wise to pay attention to what it says today. So Romans chapter five, verse six, it says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have the Apostle Paul, and he gives us this amazing, um, this, this kind of understanding of what salvation does to us, like how it changes us, what, what benefits it come into our life through this work of Jesus. And he gives us this incredible insight into the love of God. He says that God has proved his love for us in this and, and I just believe there's some things in here that we need to unpack as we think about the miraculous love of God. The first thing is this, that God's miraculous love for you is rooted in his nature and not your worthiness. It's rooted in his nature and not your Worthiness. You see, we have this notion in our culture, uh, this idea or maybe this phrase that gets thrown around that you're worthy of love, right? I, I think of maybe one uh, woman who's um, trying to counsel a friend. She said, how dare he leave you? You deserve better than that. You are worthy of love and respect. To which I would say, why? And what about when you really blow it? Like when you do something that you thought you'd never do, or, or you said the thing you swore you'd never say, like you really blew it. You, you went too far. Is there a line where all of a sudden I was worthy of love and respect, but now I'm no longer worthy? You see, when Paul talks about the love of God, he doesn't talk about our worthiness. In fact, he, he kind of gives us insight into our condition throughout this entire passage. If you look back at verse six, he says that while we were still helpless, like we couldn't even help ourselves, we, we couldn't stop ourselves from, from going off into sin in our life. He says that Christ died for the ungodly, that we were um, without fear, that we had no reverence for God, that we were ungodly, that we, um, that we were condemning him with our words and our thoughts and our actions. He, he says that in verse seven, rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die but it's kind of like he's saying, but that's not you. <laughs> they might die for a good person, but that's not you. Verse eight, while we were still sinners, sinners, not, not just people who had sinned, but sinners. And here we have this, this understanding from the word of God that we are people who are deeply, deeply marked, that we have a sin nature, right? It's, it's the sinner. The Greek literally meant devoted to sin. Like we were really good at it. I, I, I was really good at it. In fact, even now that I know Jesus, I'm still pretty good at it. 
We were sinners. I found this, um, this definition of sin. I thought it was really helpful. It says, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. This is from Wayne Grudem, and he says this in his incredible work of systematic theology. If you're looking for a book like this, I highly recommend his. He says, we realize from experience that sin is harmful to our lives, that it brings pain and destructive consequences to us and to others affected by it. But to define sin as failure to conform to the moral law of God is to say that sin is more than simply painful and destructive. It is also wrong in the deepest sense of the word. In a universe created by God, sin ought not to be approved. Sin is directly opposite to all that is good in the character of God. And just as God necessarily and eternally delights in himself and in all that he is, so God necessarily and eternally hates sin. What he's saying here is that we, we may talk about the, the pain that our, our past sins have caused us and the regrets and how destructive it was, but he's saying, look, that's true, but it's worse than that. It's like God is angry, like he hates it because it's absolutely contrary to his nature. It's our sin nature. It's, it's what we could be likened to or what we could liken to a, a, a psychological term of a complex, right? to have a complex. It's an organic network of compulsive attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors deeply rooted in our alienation from God. It's this unconscious motivation within in us. It's, it's like um, pollution that seeps out into every stream of our lives. Paul says, while we were still sinners, in that state where sinful thoughts and words and deeds flow out of our darkened hearts automatically, Verse nine, he says that we're saved from wrath. Whose wrath? He's talking about God's wrath. Verse 10, he says we were enemies. See, Paul is is saying, look, this love that we're talking about, this incredible love that God has proved to us has nothing to do with our worthiness. And I, I think that, in the church, over time, there's been a softening of sin where it's like, it's not that bad. Or, or it, you know, it, we could justify it. We could talk about how we, we didn't have all the things that we needed growing up. And so what we did was really because of that. And, and we can kind of begin to justify and explain away everything. And what we're kind of saying is that we're essentially good. And what happens is when we we begin to um, let that idea creep in, it's like we begin to, we no longer need a a savior. Why, why, Why does Jesus need to die for sin? Because sin's really not that bad. 
but the testimony of the word of God that stands forever screams out over the millennia and says, look, just like Isaiah said, when you stand before the father, it's going to be like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He knew I'm not worthy, not worthy. You see, sin was our nature but love is God's nature. Verse A, Paul says, God proves his own love for us. His own love. You see, love is the very nature of God. We read about it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It says, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. That love is intertwined into all that God does. If, if God was like a, a big vat of perfectly clear water and I were to take some, um, some food coloring and drip it into the water, what would happen is that food coloring would, would begin to make its way into where there was no water left in the container that was not colored by that color. And in the same way, the, the love of God colors everything that God does. It's his nature. It's who he is. He's holy, but he's holy love and he's lovingly holy. He's just, right? He's just. Yet at the same time, he maintains perfect justice in his love. And he's lovingly just. It's like you cannot separate the love of God from any of his other attributes. He is all of those things fully, all at the same time in moment. It's his nature to love and to be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of pure, overwhelming love. The atmosphere of heaven is charged with love. We, we see Jesus in John 14 saying that so that the world may know the that I love the father, I do as he commanded me. And then he prays later in John 17, he says, father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. What he's saying and what the whole of scripture tells us is that love was the, the reality of God before we ever came along, before there was a world, before there was a creation. It's like God existed eternally in perfect love within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the atmosphere of heaven. He is love, and yet we are sinful. And that may sound like a real slap in the face, right? In a culture where we say things like, you deserve better than that, you're worthy of love. It sounds like a slap in the face to have a, a scripture that says things like helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies, feels like a slap in the face, but let me tell you why. It's a kiss of blessing. If God's love for you isn't based on your worthiness, then you can't lose it by your unworthiness. Did you catch that? 
If God's love for you isn't based on your worthiness, you cannot lose it by your unworthiness. Meaning, you and I, as people who are fallen, who struggle, people who, who have this complex of sin that's just complicated and it colors and pollutes things in our lives, it's like we constantly fall short of what God wants us to do and to be and to say and to think. And at some point, if it's based on our worthiness, then there has to be a cutoff line where God can't love us anymore but it was never based on our worthiness. It was based on his nature. The second thing, why you need to understand that this is a kiss of blessing, is that if your love for others is based on God's love for them and not their worthiness, then you can love anyone, even at their worst. You can love anyone because your love for them is based on God's love for them. The second thing that I think is so important that we see here is that the ultimate display of God's miraculous love is the cross of Christ. I mean, it's the penultimate, it's the pinnacle, it's the highest expression of love. In verse eight, it says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He proves, he demonstrates, he introduced us to his love. He, he showed it to us by Christ dying on a cross for us. And I just want you to think about the miraculousness of that. I mean, talk about a miracle of, of a divine intervention of breaking into a, a human affair and changing it. This cross of Jesus where God who is holy and is just and is angry, who has wrath about our sins. He, he still has this desire in him to call forth a people for himself on the earth. And so what he does is God puts on flesh. Jesus Christ comes into the world fully man fully God, born of a virgin. And he lives the sinless, perfect life that you and I have not been able to live. And in doing so, he prepares the perfect sacrifice. And at just the right time, at the right moment, God ordains that Jesus is going to be taken and arrested and nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up from the earth and that he's going to hang there and he's going to die and he's going to bear the wrath, the punishment, the judgment that I deserved and that you deserved. He's gonna take my unworthiness upon himself is going to pay for it finally and forever. So that at the very same moment in this beautiful cross, this demonstration, this proof of love, an event that changed history. In this moment, God is at the same time perfectly righteous. 
sin would be paid for. Blood would be shed. He was perfectly righteous and miraculously loving. It's the highest demonstration of God's love, the ultimate display. And in being the ultimate display, he becomes the ultimate definition of love. This love, this love of God is self-giving for the benefit of others. That's the definition of love in the Bible, this agape love that we're talking about, this God love. It is self-giving for the benefit of others. Namely, God gave himself for your benefit on the cross. The ultimate display of God's miraculous love is the cross of Jesus. And the third thing I think is so important, the miraculous love of God moves you from were to are to will be. You see, there's a progression here in this passage, and I don't want you to miss it because it's, it's so cool as we look at the phrases that Paul is using to describe this progression. He, he talks about that we were still sinners, that we were still helpless, that we were enemies. I just want to say that were can be one of the greatest words in the human language because it's past tense. Oh, I mean, all of our testimonies are were, am I right? I mean, we were addicted. We were stuck. We were empty. We were helpless. We were totally separated from God. We were falling apart. We were filled with shame. We were filled with regret. We were darkened. We, we, were, we were overwhelmed by evil. And yet, the miraculous love of God broke in. He broke in into our heart, into our life. And he changed the were to an are. Paul says, we have now been justified by his blood. Having been reconciled, we have now received this reconciliation. There's this, this word justified to be declared legally righteous, but then he goes further and it's like, it's not just that you're declared righteous, it's that you're actually brought close, you're reconciled. It's like the father is now in your life. You, you have a relationship with God. You've been brought in, you're reconciled. You are. The love of God moves us from were to are and to the will be. He says we will be saved through him from wrath. That when we stand before God and we have that Isaiah moment, we know I'm not worthy. That at the same moment, we'll have such a deep understanding of the worthiness of Jesus that was put on to our unworthiness, how he's covered us. And we will be safe from wrath. On the day of judgment, we will not be consumed by wrath. In fact, we will be welcomed with miraculous love. We will be saved 
by his life. See, the only thing that could get you from were to are to will be is the miraculous love of God demonstrated in the cross of Jesus. It's the only thing. You're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. You can't do enough good things between now and when you die to make up for all the bad things you've done. There's, there's no way that you could do it to go from were to are to will be without the cross of Jesus Christ. And Christ on the cross, dying for his enemies, is the pinnacle of self-giving love. There's no higher expression. So, I want to close with that question. Have you moved from were to are? If you're someone who uh, wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you've hung in there long enough, you've watched this a sermon or you've listened to this sermon online, and you're, you're there. It's like maybe today's the day that God has been ordaining from the foundation of the world that you're going to go from were to are. That the love of God is just calling you, like you sense the miraculous nature of God's love, that Jesus would do this for you. That God would prove his love for you by sending Jesus to die for you. I just want to tell you today, I want to encourage you with everything in my being that you'd put the stake in the ground, that you would say, today's the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that you would be saved, that you'd be born again. And that simply is when we, when we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, when we make that transaction, that spiritual transaction where we are born again in Jesus, we move from were to are. Today could be that day for you. And for my believers, my friends, my brothers and sisters watching now, I want to ask you the same question. Have you moved from were to are? Have you allowed this miraculous love of God to mark you so deeply that you stop seeing yourself only in the, in the were and that you've begun to see yourself in the are, and that you've really bought into the will be. Have you allowed this miraculous love of God that moved you from were sinners to are reconciled? Have you allowed it to bring you out from the cloud of condemnation so that you can walk in the newness of life that Jesus Christ has purchased for you? Are you ready to stop diminishing the work of the cross and how you think about yourself or talk about your life? Are you ready to step into the R, a new creation, a new identity in Jesus Christ? Oh, I hope, I hope that you move from were to R. And I hope you know what will be. Friends, 
God's miraculous love for you is rooted in his nature and not your worthiness. The ultimate display of God's miraculous love is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it has the power to move us from were to are to will be. Let's move from were to are. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.